Welcome to our continued coverage of town meeting election forums. I'm Julia and I'm here today with the Champlain Valley Superintendent, School Board Chair and Chief Operations Officer. They'll be presenting on the budget which voters in the towns of Williston, Shelburne, Hinesburg, Charlotte and St. George will be asked to weigh in on on March 5th which is town meeting day. Um, I'm just going to start off by having everybody introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Elaine Pinckney. I'm the superintendent of the Champlain Valley School District. I'm Lynn Jonick. I chair the board of CVSD. I'm Jean Jensen. I'm the chief operations officer for Champlain Valley School District. Okay, so they've prepared a presentation on the budget that you guys are free to get into. Well, I'm going to, um, I guess, get us started off just kind of remind everybody who C Champlain Valley School, it's a lot easier to say CVSD, <laughs> um, who we are. We represent Williston, Hinesburg, Shelburne, St. George, and Charlotte, five towns, um, six schools, and there are 12 board members who sit on the CVSD board. Uh, we have about 3,800 kids. Um, about two-thirds of those are in K-8, a third are in 9 through 12 and we um, have about 415 teachers that we have in the district. Um, the piece of, of one of the, the biggest focuses of the board is our mission. And it, that's really easy to say. It's harder to make sure that all your work that you do aligns, aligns towards our mission. Um, but our goal at the end of, of our K-12 experience for our kids is to um, develop citizens who learn, think, contribute, live, and pursue excellence. And this really does drive everything we do, and it has a huge role in, in um, how we develop the budget. Um, one of the goals of the board is to really involve um, every piece of the, the CVSD community, whether it's teachers, staff, community members, they all provide us input as we um, put together the board and we really wanted to thank everyone for all of the work. It is not an easy process to go through. Um, and just a special uh, shout out to Rick Detweiler who was our community budget buddy um, who came to all of our budget meetings and really provided some invaluable um, help as we crafted the budget. So um, enrollment in our school, Lynn already said that we have about 3,500 um, students. Pretty much we have stable enrollment. I mean, the slide shows that there's a little bit of a decline, um, but that's not the whole story. Um, the decline there is in actual numbers. When we look at um, equalized pupils, which is the way that we are funded in Vermont, our equalized pupil numbers have gone up in the last two or three years each year. Um, so, I think it's also, Elena, a factor of how we, we forecast our pupil count for next year fairly mm -hmm. conservatively. It's pretty easy to say the first graders are going to become second graders, uh, fifth graders are going to become sixth mm -hmm. graders. It gets a little trickier because we also say the eighth graders are going to go to the high school as ninth graders and we tend to pick up kids um, at that juncture. There's kids who choose to come mm -hmm. to Seaview who went to other schools. We also have school choice. Um, and also the uh, the kindergarten numbers don't, uh, we have a difficult time forecasting kindergarten, incoming kindergartners. So we're a little conservative on that. Um, it's just a way of, of um, uh, we like to budget, to not, be, not put ourselves at too much risk in our budgeting process, so we're conservative. So a lot of years we've forecasted to be going down a percent or two, and it just ends up being relatively flat. Right. 
And I think the, the next slide, if you want to move ahead, Jane, the next slide shows what that looks like in each town. And one of the real advantages of the merger is that um, if we have more kids at a particular grade level, there is an opportunity for parents to choose to send their kids to another district. So it's all part of one district. We do have a, you know, a bit of school choice requests um, made for a number of different reasons. But um, so when we look at that whole big number, it doesn't really tell the story about what's happening at each town and actually at each grade level. And we monitor that a lot. As Jean said, that's really one of the key parts of the work that we do during the budgeting process both for in terms of you know the revenue that we're going to get but also to determine like class size and that kind of thing and there are the averages so i just was talking about class size so we adhere to the um, education quality standards and that says that um, in k through two our class sizes on the average should be under 20 and at okay. three through eight should be under 25. we go through a whole process starting in you know, late September, October with the principals in each of the buildings to roll up the numbers at all the, all the grades except for kindergarten and ninth grade and see what that's looking like. And it's based on that that we determine how many teachers we need in each school. And so we know very early if we're going to be moving things around. So, for example, this year, we know that we need an additional two teachers in one of our schools. We also know that we have a couple of schools that we can reduce a teacher. So. And one thing we didn't have on here is we just, this is really just talking about the K-8s. And, of course, we have quality standards at the high school, but they get much more complicated mm -hmm. to uh, keep track of. And so um, um, the quality standards at the high school are more about how many students a teacher is responsible for across the entire, what could be okay. five, six, seven you know, yeah, session, we, sections, five, five or six sections. And so um, we, we do look at all those numbers. It's just hard to put on a chart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so but the board gets that information. And as we go through the regular ed um, budget, we are well aware of the high school, right. all mm -hmm. of those intricacies. Okay. And the implication is the same. So the board <coughs> says, gee, you know, I think that there are too many, sec too many over 25 sections in this particular content area. That then results in, oh, we need to add a position there. Right. So it's all connected to, you know, what's the learning opportunity for kids that we want to create and how many teachers does that take? I'd say, Lynn, I don't know if you'd agree, but I would say that's probably where the board spent most of its energy this mm -hmm. time, yep. this year round, was on um, class equitable class sizes, uh, equitable not just between mm -hmm. our towns or between our grades, but uh, between math and, at the high school, math and uh, we had History. We had teachers in math and history, in social studies because of uh, the class sizes were just getting too big. So, uh. so uh, one of the big benefits of being a consolidated district, this is our second year, that um, we've been afforded is a relatively stable enrollment. And so it allows us to look at our budget over a five year, kind of like project out five years where we see we're, mm -hmm. what we, we're going to be. And it allows the board to set two types of goals. We have the qualitative goals, which basically says um, to the administration, we need to meet or exceed the educational quality standards. Um, we need to make sure that we're achieving our mission and our vision. Um, we wanna make sure that our key initiatives like proficiency-based learning and um, our personalized learning and proficiency-based learning are, um, we continue with those. We wanna make sure that we get the community input. All of those qualitative, um, goals we give to the administration. 
but being consolidated also allows us to say, we have a quantitative goal, and we don't want you to exceed, this year it was 2.6%, and it's not just a number that we pull out of thin air. Um, it's based on the CPI and the New England uh, Economic Plan, which is more of a educational. And um, what is the CPI? Uh, the uh, Consumer Price Index. So we kind of balance those two, kind of looking at that. that is what we feel is a good um, uh, in indicator of what the community could support because it's based on actual indicators. It's not, not just a pie in the sky number. Um, so those were our goals that we, that we presented this year. Um, and for the next four years looking out, we kind of know and the administration knows, well, no one really knows what the economy is going to do, <laughs> but kind of generally have an idea of where the budget's going to grow or shrink. I think it's important to say that the board says to the administration, here is what we hope you can come in on. Go do that work and come back and let us know whether you're able to do that and realize the qualitative goals that she talked about. So fortunately in the last two years we've been able to do that. We've not I think it's an important piece to like have in mind that it's possible that some year we would come and say, we can come in at 2.6%, but we can't do A, B, and C that we know is connected to the board's mission and the values that the board has articulated. Yep. Budget work happens year-round. I'm the one who has to put this slide in there. I think that <laughs> it's really, I think it's really easy for people to imagine that the crunch that happens between November and March, whatever the date is, or for the board end of January when on some date certain all the numbers need to get in is when is the only time that we talk about this stuff and in fact you know we we're always talking about like what does year-round budgeting look like and in you know like maybe we're not doing the number crunching but even before our next year's budget is is passed when I'm meeting with principals individual principals in my monthly go-around just this last month there I can't tell you how many times I wrote year-round budgeting because they're already thinking about beyond next year and their two-year plans for okay well we have these resources this year but if we were to and I think that the board does that too you know we'll have a, a full day work day in at the end of May that the board will say here are our goals are these still our goals do we need to tweak one do we need to you know change it whatever that becomes my work plan and then that plays into like all the work that I do with the principals. So I think it's important for the public to realize that it's not like we seclude ourselves for a couple months, do all of this number crunching and say, please give us this money. And then after that, we tuck that away and we go along our merry business. It really is all connected. And so when you're doing that planning, you're planning for more than just one year out oh, a lot of the time yeah. you're going. Yeah, sometimes they're way, way out. We don't yeah. know if we'll get there, and it could be we're going to take like a different path once we get like halfway down the, the road or even sooner. But yeah, I think people are always imagining what could be. And I think uh, it, it allows for a more thoughtful solution to a yeah. question. So the board could be in a meeting at the end of November and say, uh, I heard about this great program at another school. How come we're not doing it? we should do it. And instead of just saying, okay, well, give me 24 hours to go find some numbers yeah, to add to the budget, crunch. you know, we, right. have a, we have thoughtful time to say, that's an intriguing idea. We haven't given that enough thought. Let's um, put that on the agenda for the spring to have a really thoughtful discussion about it and see what the plan would look like. Um, and then we'll include it in the next year's budget. Mm -hmm. you know, and if it's something that's 
obviously Granadillo or something that we think is really important, then sometimes we'll get a little ahead of it and we'll say, I'll put a, let's put a placeholder in the budget and do the work to refine it in the spring. But um, it, it, it allows for less reactive and more proactive planning. And from the board sense, it allows the administra administration to bring us the data that proves what, mm -hmm. or, or disproves why or why not these changes need to be made as opposed to just a reaction. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Into the numbers. Such a simple slide, and it really it represents it's so, so much, much work. work. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we started the budget in October, but again, it's year-round budgeting. Um, but this is this is a budget that um, represents a lot of work and meets all of our goals. Um, not only does it meet our goals, it meets um, it exceeds the um, kind of standards that the tax commissioner put out in his letter in December. So our, our overall budget is up 2.7%. Um, it was predicted in December that statewide the um, school budgets would increase by over 3.3%. So we're coming in below that. Um, and then the big piece, the piece that drives the, um, the tax rate in our towns is the cost per equalized pupil, which is a 2% increase um, over last year which is well below the 4.1% that the tax commissioner asked us to, to come in at. So not only are we presenting a budget that meets our qualitative and quantitative goals, um, we're exceeding the recommendations put out by the tax commissioner and I think supports a really strong education. Mm -hmm. now I think it's my turn so we get the yep. pages. <laughs> Far more numbers on the next uh, couple of slides. Uh, <laughs> so the, some of the major uh, uh, so it's a $2 million increase, about 1.4 of that, or 1.3, 1.4 is in salary and benefits. We do have you know, contractual obligations with our over 1,000 employees. We have 415 teachers, we have over 1,000 employees. Um, so that's, that's the biggest driver of that. Um, we have some increases uh, in the special needs kids. We always want to make sure that we're treating those kids with what they need to succeed, and that um, this, that can change year to year depending on the population that comes to us. But our special ed budget, at least for one more year, is built bottoms up. Uh, our special ed directors uh, get together and do a thorough job of really figuring out what our kids in our system are going to need, and that's what we put into the budget. So this year that's up a bit. Um, operations and maintenance, that's the care of all of our, our six buildings, um, and fuel costs, and, and, and then everything else is about $300,000. The last line you see down there, consolidation savings, we've been tracking um, the, the money that we've saved since we became a consolidated district. Uh, and some of those are very uh, easy to explain, like we only need to have one financial audit instead of seven. So that certainly saved some money. Um, we've had the opportunity in some of our centralized services like maintenance and operations where we've, we're now sharing resources across multiple schools instead of each school having to have its own electricians or that kind of thing. So that there's some real hard things you can, you can grab onto. Then there's also just the, um, I'd say the, the, the thoughtful discipline of, of having all the money in one place to make decisions that are, it's very transparent and very open. Um, and the, the staffing costs as someone retires and is replaced by a new, a new teacher, we know exactly what that number is and we can show it to the board and the board can decide well, let's give that back to the taxpayers, or let's you know reinvest that somewhere else. Where before, with uh, multiple school systems, uh, you know, one teacher retires, the principal may decide, oh, I've been really wanting to do this program, and they just reinvest it. Now it's 
Not that that was ever wrong, but now by having it all in one place, you can really make some real uh, strong priority decisions. Mm -hmm. That's a really good idea, but this other three things are in line ahead of it, right. <laughs> or this is the right time to, uh, to take that savings. Or, so. for example, in the last two years, last year and in the current budget, we have a position held out anticipating that our kindergarten numbers might be higher in right. one school or another, because we really don't know what those numbers are. In the past, each of the districts would have held out that money, and then you've got that money, and so, of course, there are always a million things that you can do to make it better. Every one of us sitting here can think of all of those things. But now we have one, mm -hmm. and now we're monitoring that. Every time I meet with the principals now, I know that, I'm asking, what do the kindergarten registrations look like now? So that we start thinking about that. Will we even need to use that money? So. And what happens if that money isn't used, if you don't? Well, it's the, the point that Jean was making before. Then there's a decision that the board makes about, are we gonna- to Decide where to- apply it next year as fund balance to bring down the tax rate. So the, um, this is a, a little complicated. This is the, sort of the, the explanation of how we get between all of our numbers to a tax rate. You can see the top line there is the budget number you've just seen. Um, this, the way the state funding formula works, that would be the 78 million is what we are actually intending to spend. Then we uh, subtract local revenues, and a part of that are state revenues that come to us, such as special ed reimbursements, so it's $12 million. You subtract that, and it's what they call net ed spending. Um, Lynn was talking about our equalized pupil count. You saw on the other slide that we had 3,815 3, students. It magically turns into 4,143. <laughs> when you do the equalized pupil count, that is a state calculation that's given to us. Um, and it essentially, the equalized pupil count, essentially what it does is it um, accounts for children in poverty or children who are um, English language learners, uh, and it, it's a way of making sure that, that communities that have uh, students with those kind of needs have the resources they need to address those needs. Um, uh, so, so the number magically changes, and then you take your net ed spending by that, divided by that number, and that's how you get to the 16,071. Um, then there's a state yield number that comes out of the, from the tax commissioner in December, and it's uh, essentially at, at a very simplistic view. And uh, I think all three of us have tried <laughs> to untangle this, but, but, but the best way, to, easiest way to explain it is the tax commissioner is estimating, because this is an estimate, what um, if, if the tax rate, property tax rate was $1, how much could you afford to spend on each student in the state? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the 1066. Our number at 16,000 is 151% of that yield, which makes our tax rate $1.51. It's, it's, uh, there are a lot of things that go into funding education in the state, sales tax, um, the people pay on income tax, second home rates are different, and then homestead property rate. It's a very complicated system, um, but Simplistically, the, the one that we tend to, to zero in on is this, uh, this homestead property tax rate, which okay. is what if you owned a house, the rate that you'll pay. Uh, so we start with the $1.51 um, because uh, when we consolidated, the state was offering an, um, they hate it when you call it an incentive. It's a transition tax, a transition benefit, but essentially it's an incentive. It started at, we had a 10 cents off the tax rate the first year, 8 cents this year, next year it'll be 6 cents. So that means we get to subtract 6 cents from the tax rate, so we're at a dollar forty-five uh, tax rate, which and is actually down a penny year to year. And 
And it seems kind of backwards because actually the yield, the tax rates won't be finalized until after all of the budgets are approved because the legislature needs to know how much it needs to raise in taxes to fund all of the budgets, which you don't know until the budgets are passed. So this is our, but this is the way it's always been. This is our best guess at what your taxes will be um, based on the information that we have right now. Right. We sort of made a habit of making sure we stick to the tax commissioner's letter trying to, mm -hmm. rather than trying to assume we know Bent better. it ourselves, right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would just point out on that slide that that spending per equalized pupil is pretty much right at the middle in the state, right? It's very close. Yeah, yeah it's very close. So I said pre-CLA, that's common level of appraisal. That's the state's um, calculation it does in order to make sure that uh, uh, that the property, a statewide property tax is fair between the towns and that uh, we're all assessing our, our properties at a fair market value. So there's a different, it, that's different by every town and that's a little complicated for our towns because we would all love if we could just go to all of our taxpayers and say it's $1.45. But uh, because towns still appraise at different times with, in different ways, they, uh, the state looks at each town separately and compares uh, how close is, are your appraised values to your market values. Uh, they come up with a calculation and that changes and now you see that everybody's got a slightly different tax rate. Um, I just want to point out that the Willis, uh, the tax, well, so the tax rates are very small. Here's the, the uh, column there on the end, the change uh, for a $100,000 house, so you can see you know, it's $3 in one of our towns, so essentially flat. Um, Williston's got the biggest increase, and the town of Williston has told me that they are um, challenging their uh, CLA uh, adjustment um, with the state. So the, um, they're hoping that number will come so, down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, the, the state has to look at a lot of property sales, and some towns like Williston that have a lot of commercial properties, um, you could have a, a big sale that's just an outlier, and it throws all the numbers off. And, but the, the state has been in the past very responsive to our towns who have um, opted to to challenge that number. So there, hopefully their number will come down a little bit and I, then we can say across the board that almost everybody is essentially the same tax rate uh, across the board. So these are uh, the, do you want to take these or want me to do them? <laughs> these are essentially the three starts, the overly, uh, overly complicated uh, warnings that will be actually on the ballot. And it's, this is all, um, this article is all based in statute. And mm -hmm. they put, they actually put the language and you just plug in your numbers. And basically it's just asking voters to approve our budget um, and letting people know uh, what our per equalized people cost is and the increase or decrease in that cost from last year. Uh, <clears throat> we had talked, you were asking, what do you have, what mm -hmm. happens if you have that extra money? Well, if we can't use that money. It's not our money. It's taxpayers' yeah. money. And so if we do want to use it, we have to go back to the voters and ask them to use it. And basically this allows us, um, we're asking to take $500,000 of our fund balance and apply it towards revenue, which if you remember back in that tax calculation helps to reduce your overall spending. Um, and we're asking to take a half a million dollars um, and apply it towards that. Then um, we're asking to take a million dollars out of our fund balance and put it into our construction fund. Um, we have a pretty uh, lengthy and detailed um, five-year capital plan, capital improvement plan. Um, and if we can take a million of that, of our fund balance and apply it towards that construction plan, it's gonna jumpstart um, our ability to take care of those issues. And then the 1.8 million yeah. will just it's gonna sit. follow over to the next year, <laughs> follow the next year. I mean, this is our, our, our our reserve fund too, so we do. We don't want that to go below a million dollars. So we do want to just you know be a little bit conservative and 
making sure that we have the money in case we need it for a, an emergency of some kind. And Jean, it's part of your five-year plan. Five-year plan. Five plan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and finally, my favorite subject, buses. <laughs> we do have a fleet of 62 buses uh, that uh, to serve all of our towns, and we just, on a rotating basis, we you know, replace five to six a year. Um, just to keep the you know the average the average age of the fleet at eighteen at eight years, which sounds that doesn't sound so old, but if it's the average is eight, we have sixteen year old yeah. buses on the road, so this uh, it's just our normal uh, replacement rate. Um, finally, just a reminder that uh, in the in our state, if you are paying on your homestead property tax, and if you make less than one hundred forty seven five, uh, there there is a re property tax relief. Um, Here's the website and the, and the phone number. Uh, but there is a, um, people should not, uh, it's, a, it's an attempt to not, we don't want people getting placed out of their homes for, for uh, education taxes. And so the, it's, it's the state's way of making sure that the, that's a little more fair across the board. So just a reminder, <laughs> open, early know. voting is open mm -hmm. and uh, voting is on uh, Tuesday. Trip. Do you guys know, um, just off of the top of your head, the polling places? I know you have a lot of different towns, but in your district. They're, they're in the schools in each town. I think okay. there's except a traditional, for except for Shelburne. Shelburne's in the town hall. Town hall. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, thank you, everybody, for watching today's continued coverage of the town meeting election forums. Um, as they said, town meeting day is on March 5th, but early voting is open now, is open now so there's no need to wait. And um, you can join us on March 5th at 7 p.m. for our election results show, which will be covering a large part of Chittenden County. So thank you, everybody, for coming in today. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Julie.